0: So I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. There is a Bible app event for this. If you have the YouVersion app on your smartphone, click the menu, look for an event near Kerwinsville, and you're going to find that, uh, and that can be helpful to you. I want to talk to you about Wilmer for a minute. I want to tell you a story about Wilmer. Isn't that a great name, Wilmer? Um, Wilmer uh, was a college student who attended my first church, and he was a great guy. I, I feel like he was a good friend. Uh, Wilmer was Mennonite, and here's what had happened. A group of Mennonites from Lancaster County had moved up to northeastern Northwestern, rather, Pennsylvania. And uh, they were planting a, a congregation in our town. And as before they could put their roots down and, and get everything set up, they started attending my church. And so I had a whole group of Mennonites coming to church, and Wilmer was, uh, was one of them. They were really good people and loved having them there. Wilmer uh, sat next to me in choir. And uh, we had a choir going, an Easter cantata. Um, and if you've uh, been in that situation, you know there's a little bit of downtime. Tom, who we just prayed for his wife, Lois... Tom was directing the choir, and he's helping the altos get their part just right, and he's helping the tenors and the basses and the sopranos. And in between that, when, when he's not focusing on you, that's a good time to just be chatting. And so Wilmer and I were chatting together. And uh, I, I made a reference to Star Trek. And Wilmer stared at me blankly. And I said, oh, you don't have TV, do you? And he said, no, we are Mennonite." And I said, okay, Wilmer, that doesn't bother me that you don't have TV. But if you don't like Star Trek, I don't know if you and I can be friends, right? (laughs) And his expression was something between being dumbfounded and indignant. How could anyone break off a relationship because the other guy doesn't like Star Trek? And of course, I was kidding. I would never break off a relationship for Star Trek. Star Wars maybe, but Star Trek now, I wouldn't do that either. And yet, we have seen people who have broken off relationships over the course of time over some pretty small things in the scope of a lifetime. Maybe you remember a couple guys in high school that were good buddies and almost inseparable. They did everything together. You know, they were just those two guys. And then this girl came along and both of them would like to have dated her and and they began to fight over it and they stopped talking. And high school's long gone and that girl's long gone, but they're still not talking. Or maybe you uh, know a father and son who disagreed over a a politician. Uh, Clear back in 1988, (laughs) they disagreed over that politician. And they quit talking, and the politician is dead and gone. But that fracture in that relationship still exists. You might even be seeing it now. I can imagine, and I don't know if this is funny or pathetic, I can imagine individuals thinking about the NFL. I can't believe you're going to watch that. I can't believe you don't watch that. We're just going to quit talking. You know, you could see that, couldn't you? Because relationships, they're fragile. And uh, broken relationships are plentiful. Broken relationships uh, are everywhere. In fact, I, I kind of wonder too, as painful as a broken relationship is, is there anything more painful than that? I mean, when you have somebody in your life who you love, they're a good friend, and suddenly that relationship is fractured, It's a painful thing. I can't think of anything more painful. And you might say, well, what about death? Isn't that what death is? A fractured relationship caused by the other person no longer being available to you. Fractured relationships are always painful. God, he's all about healthy relationships. In fact, it is God's pattern, and that's what we've been talking about the past several weeks, the patterns we see in God that are worth emulating. It is God's pattern to pursue, to forgive and to adopt because of how he sees people and how he sees relationships. And Jesus presents this pattern in three parables, not just in one, but in three parables in Luke 15. In the parable of the lost sheep, he's talking about relationships that need to be repaired. In the parable of the lost coin, he's talking about the investment one must make to have a thing of value again. And even and definitely in the parable of the prodigal son. That parable is all about all about relationship. In his book, Shame Interrupted, Ed Welch says that, he speaks of this pattern, and he says that one of the patterns that God exhibits is to pursue and to forgive and to adopt those with whom he wants a relationship. And he does this because he's a good father. Now, I want to talk to you about some of the standout qualities of a good father. And I have three of them to share with you. The first one is this. The good father values every child. I love to tease with my siblings, uh, and I'll say to them, you know, mom loved me more than mom ever loved you. you know, I don't know if you do that in your family. Back in the day, when I was just a little boy, there was a show called The Smother Brothers on, and The Smothers Brothers, one of them would say to the other, you know, mom always loved you best. We never did that. What we said is, mom loved me the best. And while there's little doubt that some children are easier to love than others, There is never a question of value. Because you value, a good father values their children, a good mother values every child. And you can see this in the first of these three parables in Luke 15, that that Jesus is showing the value that God puts on every one of us. It's only five sentences long. It's really four sentences long because verse 3 says, then Jesus told them this parable, and here it is. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. I want to think about that sheep that got lost for a minute he was a problem, wasn't he? A little bit of a rascal, that sheep was. Here's what you learn in Sheep 101, when you're just a little lamb. Your mummy says, bah, you need to stay with everyone else. Bah. Don't wander off. It's a, it is the first lesson that you learn. Stay with the flock. And what's he doing? He's wandering off. He's straying away from the flock. He's going his own way. And it caused a problem for the shepherd. And potentially, it put everyone else in danger because that sheep was that way. And yet, the shepherd valued that sheep, even though it had gone astray. He went after it, even though 99 others were there safe and available to him. That is a pattern of the father. He goes after us, he pursues us, he chases us down. And when we're off course, he brings us back into line and he brings us to the fold, to the rest of the flock. It is his pattern to pursue his children because he values them. It's a standout quality of any good father. Uh, Another standout quality is that he invests in every child. A good father invests in every child. The second parable in Luke 15 is that of the lost coin. It's a short parable. It's four sentences long in the NIV. And in verse eight, it says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully or diligently until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay, so this woman lost a coin. In our economy, that's small potatoes. In fact, I just saw a penny there right where Drew's sitting. I put it in my pocket. It had been there for a couple, three weeks. It's a penny. It's a lost coin. We don't really care about a penny. In, in our economy, any coin that you can get, you know, at the bank, no coin has great value. But in her economy, that evidently was a significant loss. And because she valued it, this probably went right by you, but she invested resources in recovering it. For example, she burned oil. She lit a lamp. It doesn't mean she flipped the switch on the wall. It means she lit a lamp of oil, valuable oil, and went around her house with that lamp looking here and there. She she swept that house. and so I'm guessing she was probably a decent housekeeper. But now she's really sweeping it because she lost something that was invaluable. And she's willing to invest that effort in recovering it. She, she gave it her full attention. It says carefully in the NIV. She searched carefully. You might think of that as diligently. There's an investment in what she's doing because she wants that thing back. It reminds me of what happened on the 4th of July. So on the 4th of July, we were at Laurel's mom's house. And it was getting, the day was winding down. We're all sitting around telling jokes. We were telling dad jokes. Those are the best jokes there are, dad jokes, right? And all of a sudden, I hear Esther, who's packing up her family to get them into the Tahoe, to take them home. My daughter says, I lost my phone. Where's my phone? Now, that's a big deal for anyone. But for some of you, it's not as big a deal as others, because some of you still have a flip phone. And you can get one of those. They pay you to use those, right? Yeah, right? And, and for others of you, you know, your phone is like a $29 phone you got at Big Lots. And you're not sure if it works, but you carry it anyway, right? But she uses her phone in her job. And so she has a state-of-the-art phone. It has to be a good phone. It, and it's lost. And everybody stopped what they were doing. Cousins stopped what they were doing. Grandma stopped what Dad stopped what he was doing. Everybody stopped what they were doing. I'm down underneath the deck with a flashlight because it might have slipped through those cracks in the deck looking for that thing we stopped everything because we know that her having that phone is an investment in the kingdom and we would have stopped anyway because of its pure value that's the way the father is with you oh and by the way we found it because there's always that person if you don't wrap up an illustration they are like what well, did you find a phone or not right? we did find a phone it was uh right where she left it <laughs> that was fun all right she's here today <laughs> that's sad okay We stopped everything to find the phone. Guess what? That's what the Father does with you. He will stop everything and invest everything in you so that he can find you. How much will he invest? His very blood. He will give his very self for you. When Christ is on the cross and dies there, he is doing that, investing his life and his death in you so that you could be recovered, so you could be returned to the course he had planned for you. And he did this for everyone. Here's the word I want you to hear there. Everyone. We've noted this before. That there are people who say, I don't like Christianity because it's exclusive. Christians think that their faith is the only true faith. Christianity is exclusive. In this regard, there is one name under heaven whereby men must be saved, and that is Christ Jesus. It is exclusive in that respect, but it is inclusive in this respect. Anyone can come. Anyone can come. No one's like, oh, you can't come. You're not allowed. Anyone can come to him. In taking the form of a human and dying on the cross, Jesus made this huge, huge investment so that the door could be open for anyone to come in. And the Bible says that over and over again. For example, in John chapter 6, it says in verse 37, Jesus is speaking, he says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So who can come to Jesus? Whoever. He invests in every one of us. In John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus is speaking again. He says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Who is it that doesn't have to remain in darkness? Whoever believes in him. He invests in every one of us. Peter is speaking at the birth of the church and in Acts 2.21, he says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who? Everyone who calls because he invests in everyone. In the last book of the Bible, in the last chapter of that book, it's written so poetically. Uh, Revelation 22, 17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Who can come? <laughs> the one is thirsty, who can take the water of, 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 the, of life without price? The one who wants to. It's, it's open for everyone. The most popular Bible verse there is is probably John 3.16. Have you, have you given thought to what it says? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, there's the word, whoever believes in him should not perish but has eternal life. Do you see the scope of the investment that Jesus made when he went to the cross? He was investing so anyone could come. God does this because he's a good father. Standout qualities of a good father. First, he values every child. Second, he invests in every child. And it just makes sense then that he welcomes every child. And you see this in his third parable. We're going to kind of step through this parable, kind of take it apart as we go. So if your Bible's open to Luke 15, look at verse 11. That's where we're going to begin. And we'll end at verse 24 or thereabouts. Jesus continued. So you can see he's stringing these three parables together. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share in the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And then verse 13 says, not long after that, the son got all he had together and set off, okay? I want want to say that that action. Pause for a minute there at verse 12 where he says, give me my share of the estate. I, I want to say, asking for your inheritance before it is due is at best disrespectful. That's the best it is. And it kind of ends your sonship in terms of dependence right there and now. You're saying, okay, give me my inheritance because I'm done with this. I am shaking the dust off my feet from this hick town, right? And you don't come back and mooch off your parents after you've done that. You're on your own. You don't come back and say, I'm going to live in my parents' basement and play X games or, yeah, Xbox all the time. Got that confused, right? No, you ended your dependence on your father here and there. And the text is going to to spell that out more clearly in just a minute. So let's keep reading. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine through the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. Okay. So if this son had not already severed his ties with his father by taking the inheritance early, he surely did it here. Because although the text does say he spent everything he had, huh, after he had spent everything he had, he's spending his father's gift to him that inheritance. And although I'm sure it's given without strings, there is a sense of expectation. I don't expect you to take your inheritance here and squander it on wild living. Nor do I expect you to squander it to the point where you're working, feeding unclean animals for an unclean people. Could you be any further from godliness, son? So yeah, (laughs) he's kind of really cut everything off just by his actions. And then there's this epiphany that he has. And the epiphany even lends credence to the reality that he had severed this relationship. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, he's not thinking of going back and setting up a house in a, a room in a basement. He's not thinking of sitting at his father's table. He knows that the idea that he has any rights as a son in that family is ancient history. He's relinquished those rights and he knows it. But look at what happens. Look at what happens in verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Do you see it? The good father welcomes every child, even those who are furthest away from him. Even those that are so far away. And the son begins his repentance in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he doesn't even get to finish he doesn't even get to make his request. Make me like one of your hired men. Because the father interrupts and the father restores. I'm going to use a word that's not a word. The father resons sons this young man. He makes him a son again. Oh, it is as though he has adopted him. Oh, look at verse 22. But the father said to his servant, Quick! Bring the best robe and put on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found and so they celebrated. You know, among the many words that the New Testament uses for that kind of an incident that's described here, we find the word adoption. For example, you read it in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 when the scripture says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we may receive adoption to sonship, because we are his sons. God sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, and the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you also an heir. More than once, Laurel and I have been privileged, invited and privileged, to go to a courthouse when someone is adopting a child. It's the coolest thing that ever happens in a courthouse in my estimation. It's a beautiful thing. I was there with Mike once. Uh, Something that strikes me is somewhere in the midst of that, there's usually a moment when the presiding judge speaks very sternly and it's hard for him because this is the only fun he really has as a judge, right? But he's got to be stern. And he puts on his stern face. And he says something like this. Look, this is for keeps. Just as you would be responsible for this child had you given birth to him, you are now responsible for this child. You can't decide later that you don't want to be a dad or that you don't want to be a mom or that it's too hard. Because this adoption is authoritative and permanent. <laughs> that is the time when our human judicial system gets it right. That is the time when the judicial system kind of knocks it out of the park because they are following God's pattern. Even if you have turned away from him, God's pattern is to bring you to adoption. And his pattern is seen throughout these parables. Like the shepherd who lost the sheep, God pursues you. Like the woman who lost the coin, God values you and spends whatever he needs to to restore you. And like the father whose son was lost, God adopts you and welcomes you right back to his home. This is God's pattern. And as you might expect, it's an important pattern for us a good one for us to emulate, one for us to follow personally. It is a wonderful pattern. You know, I thought about changing the order of these sermons. I thought about preaching this sermon about the Father on Father's Day. Wouldn't that have made sense to do that a couple weeks ago? And I almost did, but I didn't. You see, this isn't about how you should be a good dad. This is about how you should be a good person so it doesn't just apply to, to dads. It doesn't just apply to moms. It applies to people who are single, to people who don't have children. To, it applies to grandparents. It applies to teenagers. It applies to young men and women. It applies to all of us. This is a pattern that God has for all of us to do. He wants all of us to purposefully pursue meaningful relationships because that's what he does. He pursues relationships with us. And hear this. Relationships cost. Just like the woman spent the oil to find the lost coin, as you pursue friendships with fallen human being, you will find you have to pay the price from time to time. Friends will make your day sometimes, and friends will terribly disappoint you at other times. And there's no telling which friend will do which, but that's okay. Because you are pursuing that meaningful relationship, and you know that relationships cost But relationships pay. And it's worth pursuing. And if you ever wonder, is it really worth pursuing relationships or this relationship or that relationship, look at the one who established the pattern. What did it cost him? And he felt you were worth it. And if you want to follow his pattern, pursue meaningful relationships. And be ready to forgive personal grievances because you will experience them. I grew up uh, raising beef cattle. How many of you grew up raising beef cattle? Put your hand up if you did that. Yeah, okay, good. A few of us, right? Cattle, in my experience, are pretty easy to keep in the fence. If you keep the fence good, they'll stay in the fence. At least they were easier than that pony of mine. You know, he was all the time figuring a way out. But from time to time, we'd have that one head of beef that was constantly escaping. You know that one? One. and I don't need to tell you what we did to solve that problem I can just tell you it was a delicious solution right (laughs) let me say this there is no hint of that in this parable of the lost sheep none at all in fact the whole point of the parable is to say that the shepherd values each of the sheep and goes to great lengths to rescue them when they're lost and rescue is a good word Because a sheep in in that land that Jesus is speaking of would be vulnerable to sheep thieves, but worse, would be vulnerable to predators of several varieties. And God rescues us in a similar way. You know, Jesus says something that is absolutely crazy if it's only about sheep and incredibly valuable because it's about you and me. He says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep no farmer no shepherd would ever say yeah i'm going to go ahead and die for this particular piece of livestock you just don't do that in that world but when it comes to humans god said the good shepherd me i'll lay down my life so this human can be forgiven so these human can be restored revenge is not about laying down your life Revenge is all about making someone else pay for the pain they caused me. You caused me pain. I'm going to make sure you pay for that. Forgiveness doesn't just mean not making them pay for that. Forgiveness often requires that you pay for it yourself. If you back into my car out here in the parking lot and you don't have insurance and you don't have the means to pay, I can look at you and say, that's okay, I forgive you. And you don't have to pay. But guess what? Somebody has to pay. My car's got a big dent in it. And so I am, as I forgive you, willingly carrying the cost of the damage done. So forgiveness is not for the faint of heart. Forgiveness is not for cowards. Forgiveness is not for people who would rather run away. Because forgiveness almost always has a cost. It may cost you your pride. It may cost you your right to be angry. It may cost you something you love to talk about. Do you know what they did to me? It may cost you your right to be indignant. It will cost you your privilege of holding a grudge. But this is what the good shepherd did on the cross. He paid the cost so we didn't have to. He carried our sin and that is a pattern of the father who pursues and forgives. And as we do these things, we follow his pattern. As you do these things, you actually find yourself able to restore lost relationships. Do you remember the opening illustrations I gave? Remember the, the broken relationships we used as an example? The, the high school buddies who were inseparable until they found themselves both having a crush on the same girl and never talked again afterward. That relationship can be restored. Somebody just has to pursue that. Or the father and son, who don't talk since 1988 because of that politician, who's dead now. That relationship does not have to remain fractured. It can be healed if someone is willing to forgive and bear the cost themselves. <laughs> or those two guys that are mad at each other because of a sports league. Can you think of anything more silly to be angry about? That relationship does not have to be fractured. In fact, it can be healthy if we are willing to restore lost relationships. And relationships, they're worth restoring. The greatest loss you'll ever suffer, probably, is the loss of a relationship. Even though the cost may be great, it's worth the price. Do you follow this pattern of the father who pursues, who forgives, who adopts? Are there relationships right now that you're aware of that you can look at and say, hmm, I probably need to address what's wrong with that relationship. I probably need to go after that guy and square things away with him. I'm probably gonna need to forgive her. I haven't been willing to yet. I'm probably gonna need to restore my friendship with with that person if I'm going to follow God's pattern. I'm gonna pray you'd be able to do that. Because I know it's hard. What's the motto at Kervinsville Alliance? Real God, real life, real people. And as a real person, I'll tell you, there are relationships that I'm praying for myself about. Don't you have some? You can admit that to God, and you can ask him to help you to follow his pattern. If you're comfortable doing so, would you please stand as we pray to that end? Let's bow our hearts together. Father in heaven, we see that you are the God who pursues and forgives and adopts. And you pursued us by the presence of your Holy Spirit, chasing us down like the hound of heaven. And you forgave us by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Pain, bearing the weight of our offenses in yourself. And you want to adopt us. And as we've turned in our hearts to you, you have adopted us re sunning us, re-daughtering us, (laughs) making us your own. Help us do that kind of thing. With the people that are on our mind now, maybe you brought someone to mind, God. Help us to square that away. Help us to follow your godly pattern always in our lives. So you would be glorified. So we would have that honor of doing so. And so others would be blessed. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.